The first statement at the first one at the if you know the arithmetic mean formula, x bar is x bar is good summation x by n. So x bar will not change until your individual x values change. We have covered the crust, the first silence, the crust, and then I discussed isostasis, and then the earth's mantle. Now, the last, the third is earth's core. Now, for this section, please keep writing the points along with me. So, write the title earth's core. The radius is approximately 3500 kilometers. Now, this is easy to remember. If someone wants the precise value, this is around 3475 kilometers. But this value is good enough for the information. Now, we have already seen in the last lecture that mental contributes maximum the volume and the mass. More than 82% was the contribution of metal, the volume, and around 66% was the contribution in the mass of the earth. So, the rest of the portion now, this is the crust is too thin, so the rest of the portion is largely contributed by the core itself. So, besides, core accounts for about 16.32%. 16.32% of the earth's volume, 16.32% of the earth's volume, and 33.4% of its mass, and 33.4% of its mass. Now, let's come to more important point. That composition of the earth's core. So, present next bullet core's composition.
Now, if you remember, school teachers' symbolic notations. School teacher give us CR. We have already used it, uh, used it last time for content of crust composition. He gave us another notation, SEMA. This we have used for the ocean crust. The, the, there was no notation given by a school teacher for the mental because mental is more or less similar to the SEMA that is oxides and silicates of magnesium and iron. For the core, the school teacher had given this notation NIFE. This stands for nickel iron. And many of you may remember that coal has abundance of iron in it. So much abundance that I can say it's an iron body. So if we look at the composition of the core as a whole, iron is around 89% of the total composition. So right, iron is 89%. Means basically it's an iron body. Now, nickel is about 6%. <coughs> now the next point is important for the exam. See here, the rest 5% which is left has been something about which scientists could not become very confident. So over the years, means traditionally it has been believed that this 5% would be largely comprising oxygen and sulfur. Just hold on, don't write. This has been a traditional view that this 5% would be having lighter elements of sulfur and <coughs> oxygen. This is what you will find in most of the books. But one research four or five years back has given us the understanding that this 5% may be largely silicon. Now since this second point which you have got now after the latest research, this needs to be confirmed by other research teams also. So we will need to remember both the things. Traditional view as well as what the latest research is suggesting. So at third point, third subreddit, right? The rest 5% is traditionally believed to be is traditionally believed to be comprising comprising sulfur and oxygen. Comprising sulfur and oxygen. Now, within bracket, right? The latest research suggests. <coughs> the latest research suggests that this five percent may be largely comprising silicon. May be largely comprising silicon. Now, please build the boat. See here, all percentages we are writing for interior layers of the earth, they are all approximate values always because we are estimating all this through indirect observations. You remember I told you, most of the little information we have about earth's interior, it is through seismic studies. So, what I give as 89% may be given in some book as 88, 87. 86, but it would be close to 89. So do appreciate one particular point here, <coughs> that if there is any book, any other source, giving little variation of iron, let's say 2% less than what I have given, then what you do is you will increase nickel by 
means 5% you will get, you will always give the rest about which we are doubtful, okay? So, values in different sources will vary from iron 87, the nickel is 8. Iron 85, then it will be increased the same way, right? But this rest 5% is always important for us, okay? But this, these are very accepted values and we can remember these particular values only. Now we come to the next point. You see here, you know from school days that scientists have understood that our earth's core is divided into two parts. The core which is towards the towards the earth's surface is called the outer core and the core which is around the center of the earth would be called as the inner core. So present the next point. The core is subdivided into two parts. The core is subdivided into two parts. <coughs> inner core and the outer core. The inner core and the outer core. Now we need to know at least one of the two dimensions to understand this division. So please see here, total radius of the core is about 3500 kilometers. The inner core's radius is approximately 1255 kilometers. So besides, the radius of the inner core is about 1255 kilometers. Now we come to the temperature conditions inside the core. So next bullet you write. <coughs> Cores and temperatures. Now this year, scientists have estimated that the temperature inside the core may be ranging between 3000 degrees centigrade to as much as 6650 degrees centigrade. And take a pause on this figure. Look at the extreme value which they have estimated. And you also know that sun's surface temperature is about 6000 degrees centigrade. It means our earth's interior, somewhere near the center, is as hot as the outer surface of the sun. So, beside this range, the temperature is somewhere between 3000 to 6650 degrees centigrade. So, it means temperatures are very high. Now, the composition is that you have iron and you have nickel uh, and then you have some traces there. So if we look at the temperatures alone, the entire core should have been in molten state, yes or no? But you know, in the earth's interior, the pressures will also be very high. And in any particular part of the earth's interior, what is the state of the matter would largely be the result of the fight between temperature and pressure. So let's first check out what are the pressures estimated inside the core. So present cores of pressures. And just be on the board for this. See here, we generally estimate pressure in terms of atmospheric pressure at the sea level. <coughs> so if this is a sea level, the pressure of the atmosphere at the sea level, if I take that as one unit, then scientists believe that inside the core of the earth, the pressures may be as high as 3 to 4 million times this pressure. Means if this is a unit pressure, inside the core there may be 
3 to 4 million times of that unit pressure. So, Gizek, it is it's immense pressure. So, Gizek, the pressures in the core are estimated to be are estimated to be somewhere between 3 to 4 million times 3 to 4 million times the pressure the atmosphere at sea level. 3 to 4 million times the pressure of the atmosphere at sea level. Now, if you understand that state of the material would be a fight, would be the result of the fight of the two, the temperature pressure, scientists have indirectly understood that inner core of the earth is a solid despite high temperatures because of tremendous pressures and the outer core is found to be molten or liquid and that suggests clearly the dominance of temperatures over pressure. So right. next point, the inner core remains solid, the inner core remains solid despite high temperatures despite high temperatures put a hibernate because of tremendous pressures because of tremendous pressures the next you write the outer core is liquid when you write liquid write oblique molten the outer core is liquid that is molten put a hibernate Suggesting the dominance of temperatures over pressure. Suggesting the dominance of temperatures over pressure. <coughs> now see we come to the last observation but something very important for the later discussions. See here. We all know that our earth behaves as a magnet. That earth has its magnetism and that is called as geomagnetism. And we know from school geography and science in general that earth's behavior as a magnet is very similar to that of a bar magnet. In the language of physics, we say it means Earth is a dipole. It means it has two magnetic poles, magnetic north and magnetic south. So one thing we understand that Earth's behavior as a magnet is very similar to that of a bar magnet. This is one point. Second, science understands today that magnetism appears to be originating from the core of the Earth somewhere near the center of the earth. So the source region of earth's magnetism <coughs> is the core and somewhere near the center of the earth only. So core is the source region of this magnetism. The third thing science have understood is and you will also appreciate this in the today's lecture towards the end or perhaps in the initial part of the next lecture that in the research related to plate tectonics theory we have understood that our earth has been behaving as a magnet throughout the geological time scale. 
So this is my time scale of the nature. You will understand as the lecture goes further today or next time that earth has been having its magnetism throughout this time period. It means in a way I am saying earth's magnetism is permanent. <coughs> so now let's revise the three things and see what is the problem it will create. That earth bears as a magnet and its behavior is similar to a bar magnet. The source region is somewhere near the center of the earth. And third thing creates a problem that our earth's magnetism is it, it appears to be permanent. There are clear evidences you will understand that earth has been exhibiting its magnetism over the millions of years of the entire geological time scale. Now, this creates a problem for the reason that inside the core of the earth we have very high temperatures more than 3000 degrees centigrade as a, a going more than 6000 there. And we know in physics that no permanent magnet can be there at high temperatures. Means no material can retain magnetism after certain high temperatures of say around 500 or 600 degrees centigrade. So the problem now is that if the magnetism is originating here, then how come it is permanent despite high temperatures? So scientists over the period of time have analyzed and they have understood something important now. We now understand that there is no permanent magnet inside of the earth. But the magnetism of the earth is permanent for the reason that outer core of the earth is molten and has abundance of iron. Iron is a good conductor and you know in this outer core because of the material being molten it has movements there. So the way we discuss in atmosphere that our air or our atmosphere has convectional currents. So today scientists believe that in the outer core of the earth we have convectional currents. It means the hot material of the outer core keeps moving and that movement generates a current and that current has an associated magnetic field on the basis of the principle you have done in school physics, electromagnetic induction. It means what we need to understand now is that us magnetism is permanent not for the reason that there is a permanent magnet inside the earth. It is permanent for the reason that earth is generating its magnetism every moment through the electromagnetic induction because of the movements of the material in the outer core. This is what we have understood over the period of time and this understanding of magnetism of the earth was one very important step in the mid of the 20th century for the emergence of the theory called plate tectonics. You know as I would have told you last time that our main objective in this lecture today and next lecture is to reach to the theory of plate tectonics and then use it to analyze the earthquakes, the earthquakes in the nature, the volcanism in the nature and major features formation on the earth surface. So, we have three important things, I repeat, bar magnet, behavior, second from the core and it is permanent because it is being produced every moment. So when you understand that there is no permanent magnet inside the earth, so how do books write this point? You will generally find in good books of geography a sentence something similar to this, that earth's behavior as a magnet is similar to a bar magnet and 
it appears as if they will not say it is they will say it appears as if there is a small but very powerful bar magnet placed somewhere near the center of the earth it means there is no bar magnet but if you want to understand the behavior then you have to say its behavior is as if that is a bar magnet placed somewhere near the center so it is it takes care of backward effect and it is from the core and permanent we need to know that there are convection currents so preside one point for this today's lecture preside earth magnetism is a trace to trace t r a c e d is a trace to the convection currents the convection currents of hot materials of hot materials in earth as an in outer core in its outer core right this way with a magnet electromagnetic induction principle and those who are not aware about this principle please check that in your 10th standard science and technology ncert book the right one more sentence present earth magnetism is similar to that of a bar magnet would happen that is it is a dipole it is a dipole so this completes the basic information about three layers the crust mantelet core now you write a small a small concept briefly just five minutes present this term separately discontinuity now please here we have understood the earth's interior by studying the behavior of seismic waves that is when an earthquake happens energy travels within the body of the earth and their behavior the way the energy will move will reveal some basic information about their interior scientists in their studies found that at certain places inside the earth the seismic waves undergo abrupt changes in terms of speed and their direction so wherever the seismic wave is going for an abrupt change that would indicate that as if we are shifting from one kind of layer to another it means whenever there would be a significant change in density means the composition of the layer that only you will have an abrupt change in the speed and direction of the seismic waves so those locations inside the earth where seismic waves undergo some significant or abrupt changes they are like the sharp boundaries of two layers 
and the sharp boundaries of two layers is what we call as discontinuity. So write a sentence that I'll show you two major discontinuities here. Is right? The term discontinuity refers to a sharp boundary. Refers to a sharp boundary between the layers in the earth's interior. Between the layers in the earth's interior. Would I have been right? At these locations, would I have been right? At these locations, the seismic waves <coughs> undergo abrupt changes in terms of their speed and direction. In terms of their speed and direction. Right, the two major discontinuities are as follows. And now be on the boat. Now, please see it. And we say this and we say the boundary between the crust of the earth and the upper mantle. Now, assume the Metal strip on the top of the board is the crust and the white skin is mental. So between upper mental and this crust, there is a sharp boundary here. This sharp boundary which is between the crust and the upper mental was identified by a seismologist by the name Morbisic. And after his name, this discontinuity is called as Morbisic discontinuity. Or in short, to make it simple, we call it as simply more discontinuity. Now similarly, we have another major discontinuity here, which is between lower mental and the outer core of the earth. So the second one, which is between lower mental and, and the outer core, this is also named after its discoverer and it is called Gutenberg discontinuity. So there are two major discontinuities, one between the crust and the upper mental, second the lower mental and outer mode. Both are named after the discoverer. So please write this. So just copy the board. Between crust and upper mental, name it as Morrisic. And between lower mental and outer core it is Gutenberg And then you can write, these both have been named after their discoveries. These both have been named after their discoveries.
Now let's see what is the next section. See here, we have completed the first round of our centennial center. But there is something, what is uh, something very important missing in this discussion. To reach to that that understanding, I need to tell you about the developments of geology in the 20th century. So in the next 30 or 40 minutes, I tell you about all major developments which took place from the second decade of the 20th century to the late 1960s. <coughs> and you will find that the discussion will reveal the emergence of the theory called plate tectonics. And that theory has become very important for our UPS exam. In the last seven years, perhaps the question has come six times, means almost every year in the main examination about earthquakes or volcanism and other related things. So to reach to that theory, I have to tell you about the broad outline for all those developments which led to that emergence of the thesis. So in the next 45 minutes, I'll tell you that story of science, which became the reason for this revolutionary theory in science and for this section when I speak for Havana, there are no notes because notes would become meaningful when the theory is reached as such. Okay. So just be a good listener for the next 30 40 minutes. I'll 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 talk about all those things which led to the theory. And if I write one or two names on the board, if you wish you can write those names. Otherwise they will appear in our structure notes at the end. Now I take you back by almost 100 years, we are in 2019, I take you to the year 1915-16. In this particular year, one German scholar by the name Alfred Wagner wrote a book in German language in which he floated a very revolutionary idea of his time. He wrote in this book that continents of the world, they appeared to be static to humanity because of the short lifetime of the human beings. But in the nature's geological time scale, these continents keep moving in nature. And this thesis came to be called as continental drift hypothesis. So Wendler floated a hypothesis that continents of the world keep drifting. And in his book, he gave a detailed description and the timetable of the events. He said about 250 million years back, all the continents of the world were, were, of the world were perhaps together. And they made a continent, which he named as Pangaea. Pangaea, you understand, Pan means all, Gia means land. So imagine, the world map in mind and try to bring all the continents of the world together. So that supercontinent is what he named as Pangaea. Then he gave us further timetable that after some millions of years, this Pangaea broke into two pieces. The northern landmass came to be called as Laurasia later. And the southern landmass came to be called as Gondwana land. And you know, India was a part of Gondwana land, and another major part of this area, uh, Gondwana land, was Australia. 
and then he gave us further timetable that these two pieces also broke in number of smaller ones and these pieces kept on drifting away. So he gave us a timetable of about 250 million years from the Pangea to the present world map. And he said, to me, it appears that the earth is like a jigsaw puzzle. <coughs> that pieces have been drifting away. And when you bring the pieces together, they will fit. So, he floated this hypothesis of content drift in 1915-16 in German language in that book. And English translations took a few years. Publication was not that easy at that time. And German language itself is not so easy for technical subjects. So this book came to the knowledge of the English-speaking world somewhere in early 1920s. Now in this book, Wagner had given very good evidences to support his thesis of continuity. Now details of those evidences is there in the notes on the portal. But I'll just, just to carry this story further, I'll just give you the broad dimensions of it. One important evidence of his thesis was, he said, when you look at the continental margins, they have, a, they have such a similarity that they appear to fit with each other. For example, if you take my left hand as South America, he said, look at the eastern side of South America. It is very much matching with the western side of Africa. So much so, it appears that if you take them together, they will have an exact fit. And scientists have checked this. It is something like that. And he said something similar is there between North America and Europe. That when you bring Europe and North America together, not only the continents fit, even the mountain ranges of the two continents come together to make a one mountain system. <laughs> it means, he said, it's clear to me <coughs> that these pieces were earlier together and at some point of time they got ruptured and they drifted away from it. <coughs> so it means, cutting it short, Wagner gave one evidence of similarities of the margins of the continents of the world, right? But let me surprise you <coughs> that continental margins are similarities. This fact was known to humanity for more than 200 years before Wagner. Means Wagner was not the first man to see that eastern side of South America and western side of Africa have similarities. It was known to humanity for more than 200 years before Wagner. But the scholars who saw those similarities 200 years back, none of them had the vision to reach to this thesis that they have similarities because they were together only. They wasted this observation of science. Some wasted it by saying it is God's grace. Means they make, made it religious and some wasted it by saying that it's a mere coincidence. It means if it was left to Wagner to give that thesis that we have similarities because they were together. It means I can cut it short and say that science got delayed by 200 years perhaps only for the reason there was no Wagner before Wagner. <laughs> that no one had that vision to understand that contents of similarities because they were together earlier. Now, what were the other evidences? Other evidences were in terms of fossil remains of plants and animals. <coughs> you will find the details in the notes, but just to give it in brief, see, <coughs> if my left hand is South America and right hand is Africa, 
we find the fossil remain of an animal in the southern part of south america and we find the same fossil remain in southern part of africa and it is the fossil remain of an animal which cannot travel through the atlantic ocean means it is that animal which cannot ever travel saline waters of the world so it means the only way you can understand the presence of the same fossil remain is that these two pieces were together and later they got separated it means that that animal was there on the earth the two pieces were together and then that animal got extinct and then there was a division also and the two continents moved apart besides these plant remains and animal remains you also talk about the mineral content of the world also now you know european region today is in middle latitude yes or no and in economic geography classes with mr shiv you have done that there is lot of coal in europe yes one of the major reasons for industrial revolution there was that they had good quantity of good quality coal with them now please tell me could you get good quantity of coal in a warmer condition or a colder condition of the earth you need warmer condition it means no one can explain the presence of the coal reserves of europe in the present mid latitude location Mid latitudes are too cold to have coal on that level. The reserves what Europe has, that is, you cannot explain that coal here. It means that the coal was formed in Europe at that time. Europe was not in the middle latitude. It was perhaps closer to the equator. Similarly, we give evidences in terms of climatic conditions also. Basically, Wagner was not a geographer in particular or a geologist. He was a climatologist. so he gave some climatic evidences let me explain one climatic evidence by taking india's example though he never came to india means he gave similar evidences in other parts of the world let me take india's example it will make better sense for us imagine this is equator and you know india is having let uh, tropical latitudes as well as some subtropical latitudes now take my left hand as india can i say latitudinally india can have like i repeat in terms of latitude india cannot have glaciers but in terms of height india can have glaciers only one place and that is himalayas so himalayas are the only area where we can expect and we do find glaciers so in my if it, if my hand is india the nails of my fingers would represent himalayas and we expect and we find glaciers are there there and they are there because of what height or latitude height but geologists of the world find that we have enough glaciation signs in central india also it means we have evidences to say millions of years back glaciers used to move in central parts of the country also and these are those parts where we didn't have high mountains at that time so it means that we didn't have very high mountains like himalayas in central india but we still had the glaciers moving in this area so now the question is how can you explain glaciation evidences in central india where we didn't have high mountains in that period that time period as such i can give one one explanation let's see whether you accept that or not i say india was always here 
glaciers used to come from the higher latitudes of the southern hemisphere via water to the to visit india so i say india has glaciation signs in central parts the reason is that glaciers used to come from higher latitudes of southern hemisphere to india's land now please tell me if i give this explanation will you come to attend my next lecture <laughs> even a school child will not come to attend my lecture because he or she will understand that it is better at home reading and hearing <laughs> because this teacher is funny in the sense he makes glaciers move from water to land whereas the rule is they move from land to so it means no one will agree with my explanation then the only way left for me to explain signs of glaciation in central india is that i must take india back from where it came so plate tectonics theory today establishes beyond doubt that india was earlier located as a part of a larger landmass called gondwana land and we were somewhere near south pole and then there came a time when nature decided to make a division perhaps some millions of years back nature came to know well in advance that harbhajan singh would not like australia <laughs> so nature prepared for that division so india was taken away from that larger landmass and india was given a big job that keep drifting towards the north and northeast and india did that and the larger mission was that go and hit a landmass called eurasia and in between whatever you find that is tethys sea destroy that consume that and give the nature a, a mountain system the mightiest mountains of the world and that is so you will understand plate tectonics theory suggesting you that there was a movement of indian plate today we do not know what is plate you can think of india's crust so it means you can extend signs of glaciation not by the movement of the glaciers via water but by the very movement of the continent that india was not here in the tropical latitudes in the past it was somewhere in the southern hemisphere so it means one thing is now clear that <coughs> wagner had given beautiful evidences very good evidences to support his thesis and let me tell you that alfred wagner was a great field worker in the philosophy of science we always say that you are a good student of science only when you get you give evidences in support of your thesis and he was exactly doing that only that whatever he said for that he gave good evidence now his thesis was published i told you in 1915 16 came to be knowledge of the english speaking world in history like what time early 1920s now i'll come back to it i just take a pause here and i bring another person now another great geologist there was a geologist by the name fb taylor in america and now you'll be little surprised that so far in last 10 minutes i've given credit for quantum drift hypothesis to the person called wagner but now i give a surprise that there was an american geologist by the name fb taylor who had given the same thesis of quantum drift and according to some scholars this person gave the thesis before wagner perhaps somewhere in 1908 to 1910 in this period now you will be surprised that if 
Taylor had given the thesis before Wagner, then why the teacher has brought Taylor after 10 minutes only? Yes or no? Now, not me alone, every good book of geology will mention Taylor after 5 or 6 pages only. First, the credit is given to Wagner. Despite that, despite the point that Wagner gave this thesis later, but remember, both had given the thesis independently. That's clear. That no one had cheated. Right? Both had given the thesis separately. No one knew about each other's works as such. And now the reason why Taylor is brought second in the discussion. The reason is number one, that Taylor gave a technical paper on the topic. Whereas Wagner gave a book with details of that whole timetable for last 250 million years or so. Second, Wagner was a great field worker. For whatever he said, he gave us good evidences. Whereas Taylor was a great mind. In my understanding, he was a better intellect than Wagner. But Taylor was not a good science student in the sense of collecting evidences. He was sitting in US. At regular intervals, he gave good points. But always believed that someone else will go and check it. So he was directing the other scientists, you go and check, you'll find this. And later geologists did find many new, new things just because Taylor had given those predictions earlier. So Taylor comes second only for the reason he never gave us good evidences as such. Now, so there are two persons now with us for the credit that is Wagner and Taylor. Now, let's see what was the response of the scientific community. When this book came to the knowledge of the English-speaking world, the scientists in general and the top geologists in particular immediately rejected this work. And some scholars rejected this work even without reading the book. They said it's a nonsense. Continents cannot move. Means no one could envisage that continents can move over millions of years. So, majority of geologists and the scientists in general rejected this book. And if you ask me that, sir, what were the reasons? There are two reasons we generally quote for the rejection. And the first major reason comes from our previous lecture. So, let's recall something from the last lecture, which will become the reason for rejection. Now, if this is my geological time scale, This is the present time. Now please remember from my last lecture, the statement given by the geologist James Hutton. Did I mention this? James Hutton in 1795 gave a solution to geologists for research work. He said the only way to do research in geologists, the present is a key to the past. And I would have told you in that lecture that by 1820s, this statement became a law in itself. And it was referred to as principle of uniformitarianism. Remember that? And now I think I have made you, I gave you this last in that lecture, or I add today that from 1820s to 1920s, the time we are talking about. For these hundred years, 
This principle alone guided all geological research worldwide. It means for 100 years of this period, every geologist was moving in the field of the subject, in the research of geology, with only one golden rule, the present is equal to the past. So, now imagine, you are in 1920s, you are a geologist, and you are following the rule given by James Hutton, that present is equal to the past. Now, please tell me, in 1920s, did you have the means to know that continents are moving? How do I know today India is moving towards Eurasia and Himalayas are still rising? Indians know India is still moving. So please tell me how do we know this that India India is moving? Only because of satellites, yes or no? That satellites that can give us that small, small movement which happens over a few years' time as such. In 1920s, we had no means to know the continents are moving. It means in 1920s. The idea was continents are not moving because there was no way to know the movement. So if you are a student of geology and you understand that continents are not moving today and you are a follower of Hutton's philosophy, the present is a key to the past. So don't think you have only one conclusion always that if the continents are not moving today, they never moved in the past. So the main reason for the hypothesis rejection despite good evidences was that every student of geology for the last 100 years was a supporter, was a proponent of Hattonian philosophy, the present is equal to the past. It was such a great idea in the minds of the geologists that they could not think of anything else. This was the main reason for the rejection. Second reason was more interesting, but not that technically important. This person, Wagner, who gave the thesis was himself, as I said earlier, was neither a geographer nor a geologist. He was a climatologist. So don't think accepting his thesis was an insult to the field of geology. <laughs> that an outsider is telling the top geologists in the world that you have missed something as important as the movements of the continent. So top geologists perhaps were not really listening to him for the reason that he was an outsider. How come he knows more than us? That we are the researchers in geology, not him. So this was also a reason for the rejection. Now, having talk, talked about the major reaction, now let's come to those few scholars who supported this thesis. So a few scholars of science came forward and they accepted this thesis. They said, your idea is great. Your evidences are also very good. But these supporters raised one question. They said, tell us the mechanism through which Pangaea broke and through which these movements took place. If you explain that, we are here to welcome your thesis. Now, this was a problem area for both uh, Alfred Wagner as well as Taylor. Because problem was, in 1920s, we had very poor knowledge of the Arsene at that time, our knowledge was something similar to what we have done so far in the class. The crust was solid. Now tell me, is crust solid in our lecture till now? And what about the mantle? Is mantle liquid or solid? Mantle is also solid. So, there were two problems now. Wagner and Taylor had to explain to the world that what was the force which broke Pangaea? 
And second, how can you move one solid crust layer over the another solid layer, the mantle, and that too for hundreds and thousands of kilometers? Means how come a large area of thousands of square kilometers like India can move for hundreds and thousands of kilometers from South Pole to present position? Now, when this question was raised, then Wagner expressed his inability to answer this question. He said very clearly that my thesis of mind is, he said, my thesis of quantum drift is based on circumstantial evidences. And unfortunately, it is based on incomplete knowledge of the earth's interior. It means he said that I can't answer your question today because knowledge of the earth's interior is very poor. I don't have the inside details with me. But he gave an idea that tomorrow you will accept my thesis when you will get to know more about the earth's interior. And he writes a very beautiful point there. He says, my hypothesis of content drift is like the torn the pieces of a newspaper. And if you wish to check whether those pieces belong to the same sheet or not, you need to put them on the top of the table and bring them together. If the lines of print run smoothly, you have nothing but to compute. Pieces belong to the same sheet. He says, take the word map, bring the coordinates of the world together. They have such a clear fit that there is nothing wrong in assuming that there was a pangeality. Now, having said that, he withdrew himself. Now comes Taylor in the picture. Taylor tells the world that I have a reason to explain. He said, Pangea broke perhaps because of the force from the moon. But then he found moon is too far. <laughs> so he said millions of years back, when Pangea was breaking up, the moon was closer to the earth. <laughs> so he brought moon to a convenient distance. And he said moon exerted a force and that broke the Pangea. And that same moon provided the force mechanism for one solid layer to move over the other. Now Taylor gave this idea. Wagner had nothing better than this. Wagner started saying perhaps he's right. <laughs> now there comes a great scholar now, the third name. There was a British geologist, Arthur Holmes. Holmes was one of those few scholars who accepted the thesis of content drift. Holmes was that person who was asking Taylor and Wagner that please tell me the mechanism and I accept your thesis. But when this explanation was given by Taylor that moon was the reason for this movement, Holmes said, mind this word now carefully, Holmes gave a clear answer. He said, if there would have been a force on the earth from the moon, so big that it could have broken the continent and moved the pieces for thousands of kilometers. He said, such a force from moon, if X for one year continuously on the earth, earth would not have been able to spin after that. When a spinning body is acted upon by a big force, that too continuous for a long time, that body would not be able to spin. But since the earth is still spinning, it means there was no force as you are suggesting. And having said this, Holmes gives a very good turning point to the whole story. Holmes says, don't look for the reason outside. He said, look for the reason inside of the earth and you'll get your answer. So Arthur Holmes provided, provided a new direction and he himself was a great geologist. He worked about the interior of the earth and his work and many other things which I'm going to write on the board 
they all led to the emergence of a great theory in late 1960s, which came to be called as plate tectonics. And this theory will tell you much, much, much more than what Wagner was thinking in 1950 and 60. Means even Wagner sitting up in the heavens will be surprised that I never said so. You will be surprised to see that how great we are now in terms of the processes of the nature, that we know what happened millions of years back, and we also know what would happen in the future of the millions of years of the other planet. It is such a great day. So now let's, with this background which I have created, now let's see what were the major developments from early 1920s to late 1960s which are responsible for the revolution in the field of geology. Right? Now, I'll write a line statement and that will direct us for the rest of the lecture today and our next lecture. And would be the reason or the would give us the thesis for major topics of our syllabus after this. Now, before I uh, make that line statement on the board, let me tell you the last point, the sad point of the story that Wagner, being a good field worker, was always traveling to find the evidences for his research work. And unfortunately, <coughs> that became the reason for his very early death. He died at the age of 54 or 55 years in one of the expeditions to collect evidences in Northern Europe. But before he went, he had created an upheaval in the field of geology and we'll see that what kind of culmination we had in late 1960s and what kind of great theory we have today with us. So just copy what I write on the board and that will give us the topics for the rest of the lecture today and next time. Yes, please just copy what I do. Make a line state line like this. Story begins in early 1920s. It begins with the idea of continental drift hypothesis. And this was given by the two scholars we have already seen. Alfred Wagner. And second is Abby Taylor. Both were supported by Yes, this Arthur Holmes, British geologist. <coughs> now, from early 1920s, I'll bring you to late, yes, this, what is the time is it? Late 1960s. And this will give you the emergence of plate tectonics. Now, what you will read in books as plate tectonics, I will give you the modern version of that in the present time. Generally books, the kind of books you will read, you don't reach to this present time. They just talk about plate tectonics. But the idea of plate tectonics 
has been given a larger shape by one Canadian geologist and this modern version is called supercontinental hypothesis. And this is the result of the work of a Canadian geologist by the name Tuzo Wilson. So you have fourth name now. That is three names already written and both is Tuzo Wilson and on the basis of his work we have got this modern version. So sometimes what I write as supercontinental hypothesis is also called as Wilson cycle. So right here, Wilson cycle. And this is after the scholar Tuzo Wilson. T-U-Z-O Wilson. Now, let us see what developments led to this theory. Now, please just check what will come now. I am going to write four developments here, which became the stepping stone for this theory of tectonics. Now, see what would be the first point. Now, take the top layer, uh, to, uh, the, uh, the metal sh uh, sheet as the crust and take the whole white skin as mantle of the earth. Till now we know in the lecture that whole mental is solid. What is the only portion which I have given as molten? The outer core. So at present our knowledge is, as per the lecture, that the whole mental is solid. But in this particular research period, geologists came to discover through indirect observations that in the upper portion of the mental, the temperature and pressure are so placed that none is able to dominate the other. It means scientists came to realize that in the upper portion of the mantle, there is a zone where material is neither solid fully nor liquid. Because none of the two is able to dominate the other. And this material is something what we call as plastic. So scientists came to discover that in the upper portion of the mantle, there is a soft layer of the earth. Means a plastic zone, where metal is neither fully rigid, like a solid, nor liquid, but it's somewhere between the two. It is something which under pressure can give you a movement. So imagine, my right hand is the crust, and left hand is the soft layer. So if this crust has some pressure, it can always make the plastic material too, get deformed and provide some medium for movement. So at this moment you just understand that in the upper portion of the mantle, a small layer has been identified which is not rigid, which is not liquid, it is plastic and that plastic layer or soft layer of the upper mantle is called as asthenosphere. Asthenos in Greek means something soft, something weak. So I write the first development since I need some space for four items here, so I write oblique here. So first important understanding was, or discovery was, so write asthenos there. And asthenos in Greek means what? Soft. 
सॉफ्ट और इन द वे प्लास्टिक जोन Now, in the lecture today itself, after some few minutes, uh, I'll be discussing asthenosphere in detail. And once asthenosphere is understood, we'll have a concept of plate with us, and then we'll be able to build on the details of plate tectonics. And in the next lecture, we'll be able to use the theory for understanding earthquakes, volcanism, and many other things. So, at this moment, I just leave by saying that asthenosphere is. The plastic zone in the yes, please which portion? Upper limit. I'll come back to it with more details. Now let's come to second understanding, second discovery, and this is very interesting and very important for the emergence of the theory of plate tectonics. Be on the board and let's first discuss it separately. Then I'll come to write this. See here, what is the history of the Earth? Earth is around. Forty-six hundred million years old, right? And you know, crust of the Earth has two parts: continental crust and ocean crust. Now, listen to me carefully. Throughout the nineteenth century, science in general had made an assumption that the ocean crust beneath the waters of the world must be much older than the crust of the continents of the world. I repeat, throughout the 19th century, there was a running assumption in all sciences that the crust, which is the bottom of the ocean, that is ocean crust, must be much older in age than the crust which makes the continents of the world. Now, if you ask me, sir, what was the reason for this assumption? Then the only answer I can give is that no scientist had seen that crust. No one had gone to the bottom of the ocean at that time in the 19th century, and no one had the dating technique to know the age also. Dating technique, you know, which don't be understood. That is, that is to know the age of the rocks, right? So, 19th century, we were not in a very good way knowing about the age of the rocks, etc., because techniques were very poor at that time, and neither we had gone to the ocean's bottom where we could see what, what or we could check. What is the age of the specimens of the rocks there? So perhaps geologists' ignorance led them to this assumption that the bottom of the ocean doesn't change, perhaps, and if, and whereas the changes are there on the continent on which you live, so they thought that ocean crust remains one for millions of years, so must be much older than the continental crust, right? But in the 20th century, in this period, when geologists had already developed a good dating technique to know the age of the rocks when they went to the floor of the ocean for the first time and when they dated the rocks of the floor of the ocean they had a shocking surprise of life the shocking surprise was the shocking surprise was that the ocean crust, which they thought would be much older than the continental crust, the ocean crust was found to be very, very, very young. So young that nowhere in the world it was found to be older than 200 million years. Imagine now, this will create a surprising point in the mind. 
that earth is 4600 million years old and now you discover oceans of the world are nowhere older than yes please 200 please imagine my earth is old as old as 4600 million years but the ocean which is a major part of the earth is so young nowhere the ocean crust is older than 200 million years and in the meantime scientists dated the rocks of the continent and scientists found that in western part of Australia, in most of the parts of Africa, in parts of Canada, in parts of Japan, the continent crust was dated to be as old as, as old as 3800 to 4000 million years. So look at our earth. Earth as a body is 4600 million years old. Continent crust is around 4000 million years old in many places. And ocean crust is nowhere older than 200 million. Now, this was something so interesting and shocking that scientists had to think once again about the whole earth. And this became one major reason for the emergence of the theory of plating Now, those who are figuring out in the mind that how come, how come this is possible, then there's nothing very difficult. I can give you, every Indians will understand very easily. Means, if I do not want to keep it as mystery, I can just tell you in two minutes why oceans are so young. Because now you will see in this lecture today and next time that the oceans of the world in a very cyclic fashion are being formed on the earth and at the same time they are being consumed or destroyed. We Indians know right from the school days, whether we understood it well or not, but we know that India came to crush against Eurasia and that is he got consumed. Have we read about it or not? That the place where we have Himalayas are there we had a sea there. It means seas of the world get destroyed. So it means in the next lecture you will understand that oceans are so young always because on this our earth there is a cycle of oceans formation and then the destruction of that ocean. It means oceans are being formed and are being destroyed in a regular cycle and that cycle doesn't take more than 200 million years anywhere in the world. It means those who are still not getting my point, you need to understand. If my two hands, one is South America and the other is <coughs> Africa, if they were earlier together, whenever they will break to split apart, what do you need in between the two? Atlantic Ocean, no? You need ocean. <coughs> so it is the story of science you will understand is when continents break, seas are formed. And then I'll teach you next lectures that those flows of the sea <coughs> will go for some spread. And I'm going to write here the fourth point which I'll be able to teach you next lecture only and that is called sea floor spreading. So it means the story you will understand in the next lecture is continent breaks. Between the two pieces of the continents, there is a sea being formed. <coughs> then the floor of the sea will spread to become as wide as Atlantic Ocean. And then who knows, it may further spread to become as wide as Pacific Ocean. And then there is a time when these floors of the ocean will get consumed. Because when pieces will come together, the oceans need to be 
destroyed. When India came to crush against Eurasia, what happened? See what? Consume. How exactly that you will see next time. So, ocean crust doesn't go more than 200 million years anywhere because ocean is being formed and are being destroyed in a regular cycle. Clear? And more of it will come in the next chapter. So, just at this point, and now we come to third observation. Now, please see us. We learned today about Earth's magnetism. And in that presentation of a few minutes, I said, we have clear evidences to suggest that Earth was exhibiting its magnetism throughout the geological time frame. Did I say that or not? That Earth's magnetism is permanent. So, within next 20-30 minutes time, you will understand something very important for the theory of plate tectonics and that is called paleomagnetism. So, besides third thing, paleomagnetism. I'll be writing some uh, substitute terms here, but they would be meaningful when I explain something. We'll write something here, right? Now, let's learn about paleomagnetism in brief. Notes are there on the portal. Let's understand the concept as such. See, within a few minutes you will understand that today when I stand here in the present time, as a geologist I can know what was Earth's magnetism millions of years back. So imagine, today we have some discovery with some understanding through which I can get to know about the magnetism of the Earth millions, millions of years back in the Earth's history. And this past magnetism, mind this all. The past magnetism of the earth is what we call as paleomagnetism. Now let's make better sense out of it. See, earth's magnetism comes from outer core, right? Because of the convection currents. Keep that in mind and listen to what I say now. Geologists have got evidences to suggest that over these millions of years of the time scale of the nature, there have been many important changes in Earth's magnetism. Means, yes, Earth always was exhibiting magnetism, but this magnetism has not been of the same type. The magnetism of the Earth has been having some important changes. Now, you will ask me, sir, what kind of changes? Number one is that magnetism of the Earth keeps changing in terms of strength. You will see within a few minutes of the lecture that for some millions of years, Earth exhibits a strong magnetic field. But then, for a small period, its magnetism weakens. But after that, for again millions of years, its magnetism becomes very strong. So, over the geological time scale, 
magnetic field strength of the earth has been changing. This is one change. <coughs> what is the second change? And this something what I say now, you might have read in newspapers one and a half months back or two months back. See here, earth is a dipole. It means it has two poles, magnetic north and magnetic south pole. Now scientists find today that magnetic north pole as well as magnetic south pole, they keep shifting their positions. It means if this is my geographic north and this is geographic south, scientists have clear evidences today that magnetic north pole keeps shifting around the geographic north and magnetic south pole keeps shifting around geographic south. It means within a few degrees of angle here, the position of the poles keeps changing. Today in the present time, geologists have given us the understanding that magnetic north pole of the earth is under one of the islands of Canada and magnetic south pole is somewhere in Antarctica. And every 15-20 years science goes for a research means there are agencies in the world who are doing this research after one or two say one and a half or two decades to find out where exactly the poles are. Which poles? Magnetic poles. Why do we need to know those poles exact position? Because you know when you are in the ocean generally as a sailor you will use a compass and compass is guided by not geographic poles but by magnetic poles. So if you really need to know the right direction, exact direction, you need to know where are magnetic poles? Because magnetic compass would always point in, in the direction of magnetic north pole. And if you need to know the geographic north, so you need to know that where is the magnetic north pole. And then you have a concept you have done in school science, declination, that angular variation between geographic north and magnetic north. All this is provided in the notes there on the board, right? Now, so what is the understanding of science? Magnetic North Pole and Magnetic South Pole, they keep shifting by a few kilometers like this. But they only shift around North Pole of the geography and South Pole. <coughs> it means there are minor changes over a few years in terms of kilometers position as such. Now why was it in news two months back? The reason the scientists, like, the, the reason for it becoming in news was that in the last survey, geologists have found that magnetic pole has shifted more than expected. Means in the time we are on the earth, magnetic pole has shifted by more kilometers in a given time. It means at present magnetic north pole is shifting from Canada towards Russia. But the shift in the last survey was more than expected. It means perhaps we need to be alert in the sense that there is something happening inside the earth. Now, so how many changes I've given you so far? The magnetic field strength of the earth may change. And second, is magnetic pole's position keeps changing. But do remember what I'm saying is poles shift only around the geographic poles. Now I come to third third change, and this is more important. To understand the third and the most important point. You need to first remember your school physics where you are given the concept called magnetic polarity. For a dipole, 
we say there is a magnetic north pole and there is a magnetic south pole. Now, if I join magnetic north pole position with magnetic south, and if I keep the arrow towards the magnetic north, that arrow represents magnetic polarity of the magnet. So, imagine my marker represents a line through the Earth's interior which joins the magnetic north pole of the Earth with magnetic south pole. Is okay? And the rule of physics is, convention is that magnetic polarity is always shown towards magnetic north. So, let us suppose this end of the marker is representing magnetic north pole of the Earth today. Means which is where in which uh, island is it? One of the Canadian islands. And the other end of the marker is magnetic south pole of the present time. And where is it? It is in Antarctica. So I join those two places by a line running through the Earth's interior. And where the arrow is to be kept? Towards the north. That is a convention. So, mind this off. Something very important is coming for the theory of great economics. In the present time when we are on the earth, magnetic polarity of the earth is like this. Because magnetic north pole is in the north, arrow is towards north, and this is magnetic south pole, right? But geologists have discovered that in the past, for some millions of years, magnetic polarity of the earth was similar to what we have today. But then geologists find that there came a time where for millions of years magnetic polarity was exactly opposite. It means within next 20-30 minutes you will understand. For millions of years magnetic polarity of the earth remained like this. Then all of a sudden there was a complete reversal of this magnetic polarity. And then for millions of years it remained like this. Then again, all of a sudden, it happened to have a reverse. And then again, for millions of years, it remained. So it means <coughs> geologists have got evidences, and you will also understand within a few minutes, whereby they understand our Earth has experienced number of reversals of magnetic, yes, with polarity. For millions of years, it was like this. Then all of a sudden, it happened to flip its poles like this. Now, some students will have a misunderstanding. Let me remove that point. See here. Some students will mix the second change with the third one. What was the second change? Poles shift around geographic poles. So, some students will make a new thesis at home. The teacher taught us today. This is North Pole. This is South Pole. Poles shift. Gradually shift by a few kilometers. Every 10-15 years. So, they shift. They shift. They shift. They shift. They shift. They shift. And then they say, they reverse. No. These two are both different things. The second change which I have said is only for a few kilometers around around poles. It is only like this here, right? <coughs> the third thing is a very different change. Where the nature goes for all of a sudden the complete reverse. Now, let me make one interesting observation. For millions of years, polarity remains one. Then I said, all of a sudden, yes, please. it goes a reversal. But do remember one thing, when a geologist says, all of a sudden, it means over a few thousands of years. Right? So it means, 
for millions of years it remains one and this long and long give me the final point of this for millions of years it remains one then there is a transition period of you thousands of years where it appears earth is preparing itself for something new its field its magnetic field cell decreases and then comes a time when magnetic field cell increases back to normal and it reverses its polarity and this goes on so you will find within a few minutes of the lecture that there is a clear evidence of number of reversals of the polarity in the past now there will be a question here in everyone's mind do you involved in the lecture <laughs> that sir what is the reason for this change yes, why this trend changes why positions change and why polarity gets reversed not tell me <coughs> if the magnetism of the earth is coming from outer core don't think the only logical guess we can make is the change will also come there from there only see uh, we have already understood outer core is the reason for our magnetism and what exactly convectional currents in the outer core now we find that our magnetism has been changing so you ask me sir what could be the reason for it the best thing i can do is the i'll say change must be because of some change in the outer core but you know the problem we can't go inside the earth so what we had to do the scientists had to go for a simple experiment they had to just check that what could be the reason inside so there was a very simple experiment done by some scientists <coughs> they made a model of the earth with the same kinds of materials which they have which we have written in the lecture today <coughs> and they made the outer core liquid there they molded in the first stage of the experiment they made the material of the outer core move in one direction and they experienced that our earth has a model is having this polarity but in the second part of the experiment they reversed the motion of the material of the outer core and scientists to their pleasant surprise found that polarity had got it means we have have a broad understanding today that a drastic change of the materials movement in the outer core is a reason for reversal of magnetic and small changes which happen over small period of time might be reason for these small changes okay so when earth inside goes for some drastic change in the movement of the material then perhaps magnetic poles get so reason comes from outer core exact details not known but broad experiments have been illustrating it clearly <coughs> now comes the last question to to be raised here for the discussion now someone may say sir okay i understand what you are teaching but what is the evidence of what you are saying means i have been saying magnetic reversal the polarity is getting reversed and all that so the basic question now comes is sir who how, how do you know this means how do geologists know that earth has gone for reversals of polarity and all that because you are talking about millions of years of the past then answer is very interesting you will be surprised to know that all what we are discussing here that standing here in the present time i know the polarity of the earth millions of years back i get to know this through a very simple experiment of school physics lab means <laughs> this revolution of geography and geology which is called paleomagnetism came came through 
a very simple experiment of physics lab, which every one of you have done somewhere in 8th or 9th standard. Remember that experiment where you are asked to take out a paper sheet and your lab assistant gives you some fine pieces of iron and you are asked to keep them on the paper. Then lab assistant gave you a magnet and physics teacher said, take the magnet beneath the paper. And the moment you did, the iron pieces got arranged in a particular fashion. And then your physics teacher said, this design which you have got represents the magnetic field of this magnet. Yes or no? Have you done this experiment? <laughs> now, these some students are looking at me. See, at least every school does this. <laughs> so, how many things are involved in this experiment? Three things. Iron pieces, paper sheet and magnet. Magnet the paper, right? Now, you will be surprised to know that Mother Nature exhibits or this, uh, or should I say this way, Mother Nature conducts this experiment on the other surface. And that chance discovery led to a revolution in the field of geology. <coughs> Take this line to represent our surface. Take this line. <laughs> there are some very disciplined students of our class that they don't bother what is important point. They have to attend something out there. <laughs> and these are regular people. At regular times they leave the class. <laughs> what is going on is not bothering them. Very good. Let's complete this before they come back. <laughs> so please see this is your person, and these people are the ones who never have BP problem anything. <laughs> they will live longer than all of us. <laughs> I hope you understand the point. You <laughs> surprised what they have. <laughs> As you grow, you will understand. <laughs> these are the people who have all calmness, no? Everything else is Mithya. <laughs> Going too far now. <laughs> Let's continue. Take this line to be the surface. This earth surface will act like now the paper of our physics lab. And let us suppose there is time T1. Time T1 of the nature, right? Geological time scale. And you know, you have just been told. That as per the time, the Earth's magnetic field may change. Yes or no? Behavior may change. So at time T1, let us suppose Earth was behaving in a particular fashion in terms of its magnetism. Means there was one kind of polarity. So let us say at time T1, Earth was having M1 type of magnetism. Is that okay? So I repeat, I'm talking about one time T1 of the geological time scale. And at time T1, Earth was behaving in one particular fashion in terms of its magnetism and I name it as M1. Now please tell me, if our surface is the paper of my physics lab, where do you need the magnet to be in that experiment? It has to be beneath the paper. And you know magnetism of the earth comes from where? Outer world. So M1 is coming from beneath, so it's beneath the paper. What do you need on the surface? On the surface you need 
those materials which are magnetic in nature like iron minerals so let's suppose at time t1 mother nature somewhere in the world goes for a big volcanic eruption and most of the volcanic material will come from the mantle and what does the composition of the mantle oxides and silicates of yes means magnesium and iron so it means most of the lava formations of the world have ferro magnesian alloys iron and so imagine at time t1 mother nature goes for a big volcanic eruption and ferromagnesian alloys come out in large quantities so tell me all the three things of the experiment are there with you our surface is a paper beneath the paper we have a magnet coming magnetism coming from the core of a particular type m1 and there is huge volume of lava on your earth surface and this lava this molten material has abundance of iron minerals and now this material is going to cool itself but don't think before it cools itself and gets solidified the iron minerals will get aligned as per the magnetic field of the earth at that time so how many of you understand this igneous rock r1 for all the times to come will become a permanent tape recording of magnetism m1 yes please so this m1 <coughs> which is preserved in this rock is what i call as paleomagnetism it means today i can go to nature as a student of geology i can date the rock i can get to know what time it was formed i can read its mineral orientation and i can tell the world that at time t1 what was the magnetic behavior of here so let's see something more <coughs> <coughs> i go to nature i read, i i date this rock i get to know it is of time t1 i get to read this magnetism this is m1 <coughs> i study this rock <coughs> i get to know the age of this rock when i study its magnetism i find it is of m1 type only i study this rock the younger rock and i find it is still m1 but then i find some rock where magnetism is confusing strength of the field is very weak minerals are disoriented so i understand now as a student of geology that is this is perhaps transition period and then i find there is a rock in the nature which is having what type of magnetism and to that is here the polarity is like this and here the polarity has become so don't think i know for these millions of years magnetic polarity remained one then there came all of a sudden a change over a few thousands of years and earth went for it reverse and this is what we find throughout the geological time so it means science has established with studies in different parts of the world <coughs> that earth has experienced reversals of its polarity many a times now if you have understood this point the past magnetism of the earth is what we call as Paleomagnetism. Now, can I make it interesting and say that what books call as paleomagnetism, I can call it as fossil magnetism. Is it not like a fossil of the past? So I generate two substitute terms: fossil magnetism. I'll give you one more term. 
understand me? Which type of rock I did to illustrate paleomagnetism? <coughs> yes? Now I ask you a very simple question. Think and answer. Please tell me, will sedimentary rock and metamorphic rock, will they also act as tape recordings of the past magnetism? I have shown you in my presentation, igneous rocks are the tape recordings of past magnetism. Simple question to the class, that will a sediment rock of the past or metamorphic rock, will they also exhibit past magnetism? Is the question clear? So please think, take 30 seconds and give me an answer. Yes or no? Now, answer is see here. <coughs> Within five minutes, you will understand <coughs> that yes, sediment rock and metamorphic rock may show me the preservation of magnetism of the past, <coughs> but those would be poor representations. The best tape recording of past magnetism will be always shown by igneous rocks. Let's understand the reason. See, when this volcanism happens, lava comes out within a few days or within a few months or in some big cases in a few years this lava will get solidified but you know <coughs> few months and few years is no time in nature's time so don't think igneous rock is a good tape recording because it is an instantaneous preservation of the magnetism of that time means when lava comes out it gets solidified within a few months or a few years and it preserves that magnetism. But now let's look at sediment rock. You know sediment rocks are comprising various kinds of fragments of rock from other sources. So there are two limitations you need to understand. Sediment rock will preserve past magnetism only when it has some magnetic material. Yes or no? See here, those who are not getting my point, imagine you are on the floor of the ocean and on the floor of the ocean we have lots of uh, sediment rocks. So imagine a rock fragment comes from the land, enters the ocean. It will be directed to a particular position to be, to be uh, to fall on the ground, on the floor of the ocean, only if it is, what kind of material? Magnetic material, if it is something like iron. Only then the magnetic field of the earth will direct it to a location. If it is not magnetic material, then it would not be directed by the magnetic field. So, which sediment rocks will give you the sedimentation in accordance with the magnetic field? Only those which are magnetic materials. So, this is one handicap or one limitation. Second is what? Sediment rocks take a lot of time to form. Sometimes thousands of years, sometimes millions of years. So imagine, if a sediment rock is being formed here, this will preserve the magnetism of the period. And what is the magnetism? <coughs> yes, please. M1 and here also it is M1. But imagine, 
if the sediment rock is formed in this period? Now tell me, will it be some confusing pre presentation or this sediment rock which is formed in this long period will exhibit F1 as well as N2. It means if a rock is like a book to you, the best book to be read is Igneous book because there is an instantaneous preservation. Whereas in sediment rock, the book would be like what? It would be like a book where the pages of the different chapters have been mixed. That is, in the same chapter, you have the pages of permanent and to die. And it's a confusing reading as such. So, sediment rocks do preserve magnetism of the past, but it could not, it won't be that good as it would be new. At least think of metamorphism. You know, metamorphism means a lot of complex changes because of heat and pressure in the existing rocks of the nature. And the best way to understand metamorphism, I've learned this, that metamorphism of a rock is like cooking process in the kitchen. When you make a dish, you may use five ingredients, but mostly what happens when the dish is prepared, most of the ingredients lose their original identity. Yes or no? So don't think if there is a rock which is getting metamorphosed, it would leave or it would have the loss of its identity. So metamorphic rock may show you some traces of the magnetism of the past, but it would be very confusing. And you will not be able to read that magnetism as clear as you can read in the case of which rocks? The igneous. So if you are convinced now that igneous rocks are the best tape recording, so I develop a new substitute term. Paleomagnetism is called fossil magnetism. At higher level geography classes, we also call it as thermo remnant magnetism. So, right, second substitute of thermo remnant. What is thermo indicating here? Igneous, right? And remnant means in English, remainder, reminder of the past. So, since igneous recordings are the best. So we also call it as thermo remnant, means related to heat, related to igneous eruption. Now, there are good notes on the portal. You just type one or two sentences on paleomagnetism. Design. Paleomagnetism refers to. Paleomagnetism refers to us past magnetism, us past magnetism preserved in a rock, us past magnetism preserved in a rock. Alright, next second point. Igneous rocks are the best tape recordings. Igneous rocks are the best tape recordings. Of Earth's past magnetism.
राइट पेलियो मैग्नेटिक स्टडीज अब रिवील्ड पेलियो मैग्नेटिक स्टडीज अब रिवील्ड दैट आर अर्थ हैज एक्सपीरियंस्ड दैट आर अर्थ हैज एक्सपीरियंस्ड a number of reversals in its magnetic polarity number of reversals in its magnetic polarity <coughs> so this is what we were to do on paleomagnetism we'll see its application in the next lecture now we write Yes, how many developments have seen? Asteroidia, ocean crust, not more than two hundred million years. Then paleomagnetism, and now write the last one. Sea floor spreading. For some students, like I'll just give you a step for your second June. Did do, do, do you notice for some students, two and half hours of concentration is not possible. This has been very very heavy for them. Is it so or not? They want to. They have to leave this room because of their psychological reasons. So how would you? How would these students spend two hours with intense question paper of UPSC prelims in the exam? This is no no. You may not. You must think over it. That to succeed on June second, the first requirement is that you should have a strong concentration span of minimum two hours. A few distraction moments, few mistakes, and you prepare for the next prelim. Because remember, second June would be what? What is more important? Minimization of errors. Don't think many of you who are really preparing for this examination are almost at parity. So what is what is going to decide today? The one who will make less error that day. And if you don't uh, uh, say agree with this, evening of second June you will remember <laughs> that you will be counting which question has gone correct and all that. So you will be asking cut off, cut off this year. No? <laughs> every every miss you will try to scan every source from where you can get the answer key and all that. So a few mistakes will decide the next year's old time message. So if you can't sit here for two and a half hours, it means it's a clear signal that you have difficult time on second of June. Yes, you will sit there. I'm not saying you will leave the all there also. You will sit there, but your concentration span would not be that effective. And at certain places, you will need some change, and you will go for distraction. <coughs> so remember, these classes are also needed. Or becoming Buddha. <laughs> that salvation will come only when you have concentration. I can understand. See, am I not sustaining myself with these points, despite the fact that I have to do twenty-eight times? You will see. Next time, I'll break Pangea, and I'll do break it with 
same love. <laughs> the way I do it in all other batches. So I am doing it 28 times. But you, if I don't do it with love, how can I make my audience understand? Yes? My, my, my topic is 20th time same topic. It is killing inside. <laughs> but I will show you as if I am enjoying it. I am doing it for the first time. Because I know audience is doing it for the first time and the last time. So, if, if you don't have that concentration, <laughs> see, this is very important, more important than the study that That if you don't have that concentration span, and many students don't understand that, that is the value of our classes. We may not teach you, <laughs> but your fee is worth. <laughs> or you know. So, see, floor spreading, this is the fourth dwelling. Now, what is seafloor spreading and all that? I can't teach you without developing the basic concepts of plate tectonics. For that, we have to go back to as a right? But before I do that, so these four developments will lead to the theory of plate tectonics. Now, please look at historical the period also. 1920s to late 1960s. In this period, we had Second World War also. And in history classes, you know from school days that World War and technology, science and technology went hand in hand. <coughs> Necessities of war led to faster developments of science. And this is the same for our subject of geology also. That this was a period of upheavals in all sciences. And ge geology, it was a big revolution. It was not just an upheaval, it was a big revolution. Giving us a theory called and remember, we do not have many theories in all sciences. If we take all sciences, we don't have many theories of the level of Means In all sciences of the world, there are only three or four theories which will match the level of tectonics. It's such a grand theory. So we'll understand all these developments, then we will understand the greatness of this theory. But now I say. What is given as plate tectonics in book is today given in the modern version called as supercontinental hypothesis, right? <coughs> now, before I leave this chart, uh, this uh, line statement and start with Asenosphere, let me show you a brief kind of a, like uh, let me show you in brief what is supercontinental <coughs> Now before that, just one of you just call the office boy. Temperature? 21 grams, yeah, 20 grams. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, we have the board. See here. 
let me give you a very broad picture of what is superconducting hypothesis but details will be understood only when we cover this sequence now see in the very crude words i say mighty words in a very crude fashion i say superconducting hypothesis means that earth history is this earth history is a history of pangaea pangaea breaks pieces drift away and then there comes a time when these pieces come together to make a new pangaea and again this pangaea breaks pieces drift away and again the time comes when these pieces come together to make a new pangaea so it is crudely speaking <coughs> our sister is a history of pangaea p this pangaea breaks pieces go away to come together and then again make pangaea p dash again p dash will break and pieces go away pieces come together and again a new pangaea p dash and scientists have reasons to say that one cycle from one pangaea to the next perhaps gets completed in a period around 500 to 600 million years and what is the earth history for the 600 million years it means earth has already completed a few cycles now i said this is very crude way of like i said i'll give you a very broad and crude presentation so when i said mind this up when i said earth history is history of one pangaea to next pangaea please don't take my words in literal sense when i say next pangaea i don't mean that next pangaea would be a complete pangaea what you need to understand is that in reality there is a complex story what is happening in nature is that there is a large landmass which breaks pieces go away between them oceans form and at the same time some other pieces are coming closer and oceans are being destroyed remember where when pieces of the continents are to join they need to destroy ocean india was to join with eurasia but for that what is the first requirement the tertiary sea must get so it means though i said in crude way one pangaea to next pangaea but it is not that nature will go for all pieces together first and then nature will say let's break the pieces no nature has a complex story what is that some pieces come together to make a large landmass and some large landmasses breaking up to make oceans and when the pieces are coming together oceans are being destroyed it's an ongoing complex process and in a very crude illustration analogy i make it like this so i say plate tectonics or supercontinent hypothesis is like a big joint families picnic imagine that moment in the morning when the all members reached a spot for the picnic it was like a pangaea all were together then what happens as the picnic starts the groups form yes or no persons of similar age and likings and dislikings they 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 make groups and what happens gradually these groups start drifting away to get the right places <laughs> and within a few minutes of time there is a world map prepared the continents are scattered all over right and some are visible some are not <laughs> some islands some children are also moving playing 
you don't go beyond what I said. <laughs> then there comes a time in the evening that the head of the family gives a call that it's time to go home and gradually after a few calls, the pieces start coming together. Most of the pieces have come together, there's a larger landmass getting formed. But some islands, the children are still far off. Right? And by the time the head of the family calls them that it's time to go home. So when those islands start drifting, and some in that confusion take advantage of going on the So this is a very complex kind of story of nature where there are unions and there are certain acts. <laughs> I hope you understand. So somewhere union is breaking up, somewhere the union, new unions are getting formed, right? This is the mother nature story of a very complex kind, unions and disintegrations. And that is what is called super content hypothesis. Now, this will all be understood well if we now create the basics of plate tectonics, and that will happen only when I teach you the layer chords. So, write a new title now. change in that concept. So, in modern geology, 
lithosphere has a little different meaning. Since the term lithosphere is still the same, so it would still mean something solid. But here it is entire solid earth. Here it would be a restricted portion of the earth. So now question is what is lithosphere for a modern geologist? That would be only understood when I show you the <laughs> diagrammatic presentation of the zone called asteroid. So now I'll present what is asteroid and please don't copy it immediately, just be on the board for five minutes more and then you can, once understood, then you can copy it. Let us say this is the earth crust and from the previous lecture you know this suddenly would be what? Continental crust and this would be ocean crust and after the crust as per the lecture last time this is all which layer went and it is solid as per a previous lecture. But now geologists are telling us in the mid of the 20th century that they have discovered something new here. What is that? Plastic layer, the soft layer in the upper mantle. So I'm going to show you that layer called asthenosphere and that asthenosphere will change the definition of lithosphere. And that change definition will give us in the next lecture the concept of plate in nature. And from there we will build up what is called plate tectonics. Now, the first question is that sir, where does this soft zone begin? Yes or no? Because I say there is a soft zone here. So what is the first question this student will have? That sir, where does it begin? My answer will be that the asthenosphere, the plastic layer begins at varying depths <coughs> at different places. But those varying depths are not important to me. <coughs> so my notes will say the soft layer of the earth, the mantle, begins at an average depth of about 70 kilometers from the earth. Beneath the continents, it might be a little deeper as compared to beneath the oceans. But average depth, where it begins is? Yes, please. 70 kilometers. So, I will show something like this. I'll show it by a broken line. That depth varies from place to place. So, what is this? This is the beginning of the plastic layer. Now, what is the next question in the mind? Yes, like some next question is prevent the class today. <laughs> the question should be where does the SNOs work? Now, before I tell you that, let me show you the plastic material by broken lines like this here. So, I said this is that material which is neither fully solid nor fully liquid, means this is a layer called SNOs. Now scientists find the average temperature of this layer is around 1300 degrees centigrade. So this is that material which is neither fully solid nor fully liquid. It is in plastic state. So this I can write as soft zone or the plastic zone.
Now comes those who are writing may wait for five minutes. Understand what I'm saying now. See here. Next question. Where does it end? My notes will say that this would end on an average at a depth of 300 kilometers from the earth surface. Begins at a depth of 70. Ends at a depth of 300 kilometers. Most of the books will say like that. 250, 300. But you may find a source where the author may write that asthenosphere extends up to a depth of 600 kilometers. 700 kilometers. You need not worry about that because for us the concept is important rather than the details. Number one. Second, you may have a question that sir, why do details vary? Mostly books will say 300, 250 kilometers, but why some may write 600 or 700? The point is, this all depends on how exactly the geologist is describing or defining the plastic material. Means in a crude I'll say, how plastic is your plastic? We'll decide that up to what point you take that material. Yes or no? So your definition of that material as plastic or as soft will decide up to what depth you can take the asthenosphere. But we'll stick to 300 kilometers. So let's say this is that depth of 300 kilometers. And mind this out. After this depth of asthenosphere, the mantle is again solid. It means pressure starts dominating. So let's say this is mantle which is solid entirely. Now next five minutes are very very important. So those who are writing should stop and see what I say now because this will give you the base for plate tectonics. See here. Earlier geographers and geologists both believed that this crust is our earth surface. This is what I said last time. That surface of the earth is crust. Continental and ocean. But in this mid of the 20th century, geologists came to realize that for all endogenetic operations like quakes, like volcanism, like mountain building, the crust is not the true surface of the earth. They came to change their concept. They came to understand that the true surface of the earth for all endogenetic operations is constituted by this crust as well as this portion. Look at the portion where I move my fingers, this portion. So scientists came to realize that the crust and this portion, what is this portion? I say the solid portion, the mantle above the asteroid. These two together make one unit. So this whole is one integrated unit. And this is what geologists call as. It means what is the new concept of lithosphere? The solid portion which includes crust and the solid portion of the mantle. Above the, yes, this asthenosphere. And just, I said, don't write, be on the board for two minutes. See here, just to make it more clear, I join these two parts so that you understand it is one unit in itself. And to make my diagram more informative, what I do is, I say, for every student, this is lithosphere. 
And now the last point, but the most important point. This whole lithosphere, geologists find, is subdivided to many parts. With our whole Earth's surface, which is making, which is in the form of lithosphere, it is subdivided to many parts. Some are major parts and some are minor parts. <laughs> and each part is called as a lithospheric plate or simply a plate. Now, how do you envisage this plate? I'll give you two crude analogies. You boil an egg. Many times you find the shell of the egg gets broken at places. So the earth's lithosphere is like the broken shell of the boiled egg. The pieces are still on the egg. So that is how the earth's lithosphere is. Better example, when you go to a juice shop, the person who peels up the skin of the orange there does it in style. <coughs> so remember, in all my classes till now, earth was represented by the fruit called apple. Today apple is useless. <laughs> the fruit which can represent the idea of lithosphere better is orange. So my orange is the earth and the skin of the orange is the litho, not crust, lithosphere. And when you go to a juice shop, what the person does to peel off the skin of the orange? He takes a knife, cuts the skin into pieces, then puts the knife aside and peels off the pieces of the skin. But nature doesn't do the second part. Nature has cut its skin called lithosphere into many parts. Major and minor. Now, let's say my two hands are the parts. They are called what? Plates. Where they meet, that is called boundary. And Along these boundaries, plates interact with each other. And you know, interactions lead to results. Yes. <laughs> what kind of results? Earthquakes, volcanism, mountain building. So next lecture will show you how plates interact with each other and all Make the diagram now. Then I'll give you notes. Copy the board the way I have done. Dividing it into three parts. No, magnetism, we don't say magnetism decides the directions of the plates and all that. We still have not reached that level of research. If you, if you are asking me that are directions, the movements of the plates, etc. affecting the interior in some terms of magnetism. See, it is not really possible to reach to that those kind of conclusions because we are not able to peep inside here. But one thing is clear, changes in outer core are the reason for the changes of magnetism. Or exactly no one is able to take the Yes? Very good. See here, he says, why there is a dominance? Now it's not exact dominance, but it is. It, it is so much that it is making the material plastic. It, it is believed to be the uh, it is believed to be because of concentration of radioactive elements. So you we, we know broadly that in certain locations in the earth's interior we have more radioactive decay than other parts. So perhaps that is the reason. But again, it is in probabilistic terms, not in confirmation. <coughs> My notes will say this. 
Now, just one minute, take a pause here. Remember Arthur Holmes? Arthur Holmes was the first person to say that movements will be possible perhaps because of convectional currents beneath the earth surface. Means he believed that some material is moving the way we have movements in the atmosphere. So, in the next lecture, we will see that this material can move horizontally as well as vertically. Remember, you have seen Hadley cell and Farrell cell, almost similar kind of cells, are envisaged by a person like Arthur Ohm and his followers in the middle of the 20th century. So, how can states move? We still do not have an exact mechanism known, but it is based on models which are involved or which are involving the convection currents of this material. Okay. So, you need to understand this material can move vertically up or horizontally. The movement would be very slow because it is not liquid. Yes or no? So, movement should be slow, but they can be there and that will make the motion like above it. So, is the diagram done? So, right now the nodes of the external sphere. Is it? <laughs> Below the earth surface. Below the earth surface. Once again, below the earth surface. <laughs> we'll see what is there next. <laughs>